What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and my guest is the writer and filmmaker, Patrick Reed Johnson. He's directed films like Space Invaders, Angus, Baby's Day Out, The Genesis Code, and co-wrote the story for the film Dragonheart. Patrick's latest project is the film 52577. It's an autobiographical film about a teenager named Patrick from Illinois who wants to be a filmmaker and inadvertently becomes one of the very first people outside the cast and crew to see the original Star Wars. Like any great coming-of-age film, 52577 artfully showcases how finding out who you are might be as easy as following your dreams. The film was shot in 2004, but through various financial setbacks, is finally being released this week. In fact, what you will quickly learn from my conversation with Patrick is that it's hard to separate the man from his film, and that the making of 52577 is as much of an adventure as what's on screen. Let's take a listen to part of the trailer for 52577. When I was a kid, they used to show these short films before the feature called serials, and they weren't very good. In fact, they were actually kind of terrible in a wonderful sort of way because you could almost imagine the actors suddenly turning to look out at you and saying, look, we know you can tell we made these sets out of cardboard, and we know you can see the wires holding up our spaceships. But look how much fun we're having. And those stupid little films meant more to me than any big budget Hollywood extravaganza because they gave me hope Cut. that with a little allowance... You okay? No, I'm not okay. A little ingenuity and a little stolen time with my dad's old wind-up movie camera, I could make movies too, and I did. Boy, did I. Let's talk about the film 52577. And I know you've talked about it extensively. We've talked about it a few different times, but let's just get everybody caught up on, first of all, what is this title? What does it mean? What's the date? Let's start with some basics here. Everybody connected to the world of Star Wars, especially the original trilogy, knows exactly what that day is. It's the day that Star Wars was released in 32 theaters across the country to, 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 to great concern of 20th Century Fox because they thought it was going to bomb. And within days, they realized, oh, my God, something's happening here. Um, and so, I, you know, my insistence on keeping the title was based on the idea that I thought, OK, look, the Star Wars fans are going to know. They'll just know. Right. The people who don't know and aren't the Star Wars fans are going to still going to go, wait a minute. I, I that means something. That's important. It's like Roy Neary in Close Encounters. I know what this is, you know, and, and, and they're going to Google it. Right. And then the deadheads are going to realize it was the day that they had that great concert for, you know, the 
Grateful Dead. Uh, we got a lot of that from a lot of people on this film, you know, and, and you, you, if I were to tell you some of the titles, you would, you would need a wastebasket. <laughs> well, I, I would say, please feel free to share any. This is a place to do that. I mean, Gary Kurtz, who left us just, you know, year and a half, two years ago, christened me fan one because he determined that based on when I saw Star Wars at Industrial Light and Magic in March of 1977, that I was the first human being that didn't work on Star Wars to see Star Wars, albeit not even finished. Without, I mean, there was no music. There were very few sound effects. There was some temp Ben Burt stuff, and and there you could, you know, <laughs> David Prowse was still the voice of Darth Vader, and you know, it was like, "Well, you weren't on any mercy mission this time," you know. <laughs> and uh, you know, you could still hear Kenny uh, inside R two D two saying, "Yeah." Let's get this over with. It's hot as hell in here. You know, it was like it was a rough cut. I mean, you could still see grips and electrics outside the Millennium Falcon cockpit shaking it. You know, um, the first time I saw the shot at the front of Star Wars with the you know the Star Destroyer going overhead, there was no crawl. It was literally just a big blue screen. Was the first thing I saw, and I was like, okay, what is this? What is? This? And then all of a sudden, silently. With no lasers, no music, no sound effects, this thing just starts invading the space and getting bigger and bigger and longer and bigger and longer. And I went from like, huh, to, huh, to, huh, to, huh? <laughs> and it was, it was magnificent. People who are Star Wars fans know all these names, but just for some people who don't, so Gary Kurtz, uh, was the first? He was what producer on the original. He was Star the Wars. producer of the Star producer, Wars. the yeah. producer, of the, Star the only Wars, producer of yeah. the Star Wars. Yeah. Um, and um, and you are like you're in high school at this time, right? I'm actually in the movie. I'm 17 years old, but in re reality, I was only 15. Um, I, what I did was I collapsed a couple of years of events into one year just for movie purposes. But but I was 15 years old. Wow. I'd been making little movies in my backyard and my swimming pool and my garage and my basement. I'd basically taken over every inch of available space on the property that my mother owned after my dad left and just made it my back lot, my studio and my effects lab. And, you know, and I, ever since I saw 2001, a space odyssey when I was, you know, six <laughs> and, 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 and as they carried me out almost asleep by the end, I just, whispered into my dad's ear i said i'm gonna direct movies someday <laughs> and my mom was like well let's just see if you you know direct your way through kindergarten and let's move, we'll, we'll get to you directing movies maybe you know so. Well, what's fascinating by that too is uh, I, I have seen uh, 52577, and so much of your life that you're describing is depicted in the film and then as this is where you can help me a little bit but i it's around 1999, which is a significant year for a few reasons. Right. You have the idea to take this experience you had being a teenager, being the first quote unquote Star Wars fan, which I'm sure that was a possible title and, <laughs> and then make it into a movie. So where did the idea to like, yeah, I should do this. Get a call from Jay Maloney, my agent at CAA. And Jay says, Patrick, um, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, I don't know why. He goes, oh, I know. I know what you're doing tomorrow. And I'm like, what? And he goes, you're having breakfast with George Lucas. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> really? <laughs> so 
So the script had been sent to me. It was waiting at my door by the time I got home that day, right? After that phone call. And, and I read it and it had a lot of issues that were, you know, I had, I had notes, right? Which I thought, God, how do I have notes for a project that George Lucas is doing, right? But, but you know, being the emperor's new clothes kind of guy. But then I thought, how do you, how do you blow this meeting, Pat? You're, you're heading over to meet one of your heroes. <laughs> Uh, what's the first thing you could do to just destroy this meeting? And I thought, ah, oh. so I resolved that during the entirety of the meeting, I would never mention the word star and the word wars in the same sentence. Right? <laughs> I would never even bring it up, not even say, oh, I'm such a big Star Wars fan, you know, nothing. Right. And I never did. I just sat down and he walked in and he goes, oh, hey, hey, Patrick, how's it going? You know, and he, and he, and he sits down and we get some breakfast and we're talking. He goes, so what do you think of the script? And I'm like, well, you know, I, this and that. And he goes, yeah, yeah I, I agree. And, and we started like digging into the material, digging into the stuff. And, and we ended up spending like two and a half hours, you know, just vibing on the material and talking about technology. He was getting into the young Indiana Jones thing at that point. There was a, you know, he was asking what I was doing at Universal and I was developing Dragonheart and a bunch of other projects at that time. And it just became like, I don't want to say two filmmakers, but two guys that one of whom is a film, was a real filmmaker and the other whom, uh, of whom was, you know, could be mistaken for one, <laughs> you know, vibing on filmmaking, right? And I left and I thought, well, I don't know. who I don't know what's going to happen. And I I, on my way home, I get a call from my agent again, who got a call from Fred Roos, who got a call from George Lucas. And my agent said, oh my God, you aced it. He loves you. You know, what did you do? And I said, I, I think it's what I didn't do. And he goes, well, it's funny. Apparently it was mentioned that you never brought up Star Wars and he loved that. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like, why not mention my the thing I'm known for? The godfather of Star Wars. It was great. And, and we've been... I'm not going to say we stayed friends, but we, every time I would see him at any other event from that point on, he'd be like, Hey, Patrick, Hey, what's going on? You know? And George is not the most, you know, he's, he's, he's not the most gregarious guy. He doesn't go running around shaking people's hands and saying hello, but like at the Batman premiere, you know, uh, at Warner brothers, he was standing there by the dance floor while his daughter was out there cutting a rug. And I walk up and I look at him and he goes, Oh, Hey, Patrick. <laughs> and we start talking about geek stuff you know <laughs> okay so uh 52577 there are a lot of things you get it you you film it and uh you, you're filming this is like 2004 is when you're filming it we started shooting in 2004 okay with a budget with a budget of one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Which for me, I'm like, that's a lot. And I know that is not a lot for anything, let alone uh, back then, especially, let alone back then, especially with all the special effects and stuff you guys do. So you film this, and I just want to connect this because I feel like we could circle back to some of the shooting, is then there's a delay. Because right now it's 2022, and we're talking about 525.77 getting ready to come out. Uh, it's going to be released in uh, some theaters in September, but also it's going to be coming out uh, so people can watch it on Blu-ray or DVD or rent it exactly, right? So why is there such a big goal? <laughs> <The> leap? <laughs> like, like, I, I went, I'm going there for you. Yeah. I was frozen in a carbonite. Uh, <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I went to Siberia looking for Gary Kurtz. It took 15 years. So Gary and I started developing a bunch of projects at Universal. And while we were developing them, we would have these like lunches or dinners and hang out and just pitch ideas at each other. And, 
and I had had this idea called Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, which was basically a 1970s American graffiti made up of vignettes and moments collapsed into each other of what I went through in high school, like, you know, George's American graffiti was his, right? And Gary was like, yeah, I mean, I get it. I know why you want to do this. And I think it's probably really valid and probably you'll probably make a really nice little movie. But I just because I made mine. I did my American graffiti I, and I'm not part of your generation. I don't know. And, and, and he goes and, and he goes, I don't know. I mean, if you had any other kind of hook or something else, you know, other than just, well, it's a bunch of high school stuff that happened to a kid in the 70s. And I said, well, there's this one little little thing that happened that I guess I left out. And I then told him what happened when I went to LA and saw Star Wars, <laughs> you know, and met Steven Spielberg and Close Encounters and the whole, you know. And he he sat and at the end of it, he, you know, his jaw kind of dropped off of his skull and his eyeballs popped out of his head. And he said, That's the movie. What the hell are you talking? He's like, why would you not make that? And I said, I don't know. I I just, I don't know, maybe people won't believe it or what, you know, I was just like, I was embarrassed, you know, I was like kind of shy about it. And he said, no, 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 that's the movie. So anyway, flash forward, we, we get the money. Just to kind of connect some dots for some people too. So like uh, in, in the film, the person who plays you is John Francis Daly, who probably at that time was best known for being uh, Sam on Freaks and Geeks. Obviously, he's an adult now. Uh, he played Lance on Bones, and he also is a screenwriter. He co-wrote uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming, right? Uh, you also and co-directed Game Night, which is the best comedy of the last twenty-five years. I love that movie. Uh, I say you also have Austin Pendleton in your film. Who just, if you're in theater, you know who he is. If you're in Chicago, you probably know who he is. You've seen him. In, you're, he's he's a hey. You're that guy in a lot of films. If too. you're a Muppet movie fan, you know <laughs> who he is. Muppet I mean, movie, you definitely know who he is. I mean, here's the thing about the, the casting on this movie: we kept falling up, and 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 we were so lucky. And it helps that we had all these great connections. I mean, John would laugh at this because it, you know he, even he said when he read the part and he heard about the hair, he was like, you know, he goes, "I've got something." He calls he calls his Jufro, <laughs> which is which is his tight curly little. It almost looks like a perm, right? And <laughs> and I looked at it and I was like, that that's not. Oh boy, no, we're gonna have to put a wig on him, right? <laughs> which, by the way, the wig that we did put on him for the film, which works great. But it was it worked so well that all of the other reshoots we've ever done over the last 18 years with every other double and even the kids who played him in other sequences that we had never originally intended to do where he's eight or 10 or 13, they all wear this wig. So even the eight year old character wears the same hair. Which oh my god, I think I realized that now thinking back on it's it. It's the same hair on every actor. I mean, the wig has a life. I mean, the wig has an agent now. You know, it's like well, I say, yeah. Oftentimes, our clothes and wardrobe and films, movies, and theater have a much better resume than the actors. <laughs> um, but yeah. here, here's here's how I get you this. So, so yeah. you, you you shoot this, uh, and there are delays, and I, I I feel like there's probably a lot of reasons there's a delay. But money was it just money? Yeah, it, it was this simple. We were probably seventy five percent done with the film. And we'd spent about 75% of the budget. And the original um, uh, financier just sort of folded. And it was ugly and it was awful. And we almost had to shut down completely. We almost had to shut down before shooting 
the rest of our schedule for that allotment of money that we had. Uh, but a, a superhero named Steve Dahlbeck, one of our uh, producers, um, who's just an amazing local guy that whose kids went to school with my kids, and he was like the chief operating officer of a of an engineering company that builds like water treatment plants and in Lake County, Illinois, but just loves movies. And we were gonna have to tell the crew that night that we were done. And right about 10 minutes before that was gonna happen, he shows up and he goes, so did you have to, did you, did you tell him yet? And I said, no, we're about to. And he goes, well, just hang on. And he pulls out an envelope and hands me $10,000 that he collected from a bunch of his buddies at work and saved the show. I mean, saved the movie. Because once you, a movie that size shuts down, it's probably not coming back up. Basically, all of the stuff that takes place in Illinois was done, but none of the Hollywood stuff was done. So that meant what we had, we cut it all together and we had this really fun movie that starts out great and then it cuts to scene missing for half an hour. <laughs> right? Just one long slug that says scene missing. Pat goes to Hollywood for 30 minutes. <laughs> and then it picks up again and the movie ends and it's really fun. I mean, are you aware at this time that the the parallel between how you described seeing that early cut of star wars and your film missing oh this giant, oh the irony the is iconic. not lost okay okay so uh so <laughs> then you're then you meticulously start putting together pickup shoots putting right. back together the pieces right. and and for those who've not seen this film you should definitely see it um thank you <laughs> but know that a big charm of the film is the character patrick who's a version of you is making his own versions of his of his favorite films, like uh, right. like uh, cl not Close Encounters, but it would be um, like sequels 2001, to Jaws. Right. Yes. John, the John 2002, sequel. The Revenge of Hal, you know, <laughs> uh, Space 2000, you know, <laughs> instead of Space And so he's, this character's filming all that, but then within the film, there's also an added layer of these very elegant visuals of some of these movies appearing, like the monolith from 2001, and it's not through a kid's eyes, it's through your eyes as an adult uh, and our eyes as a fan of all these films as well. So you have to film all of these things. It's not, and this is, mm, you know, in the early 2000s, there are computers, but you're filming everything. You're making models of everything. And so then we get in the last few years, was it 2017, 2018? You have something put together and then you get to screen it. Yep. What was that moment like? And what was the reaction people had to it? We had shown the film in 2008. I showed like a three and a half hour version of the film at Star Wars Celebration 4 at the request and, and invitation of, of Lucasfilm. In a giant hall at, in San Diego, or, or no, in Los Angeles at the convention center for Celebration 4 that was earmarked for George to do his big presentation right after us, right? So we had to like get in, get it done and get the hell out of his way, right? But they invited us and, and we had this amazing screening and it, again, it went really well. Um, but the, the thing that came out of that, that, that at the time meant very little, but has meant so much recently is that a guy named Eric Wilkinson from a company called MVD, Music Video Distributors, uh, came up to me at the end of the screening. He says, um, you know, uh, we'd love to distribute your movie. Can we have it? And I said, well, we need about $200,000 to buy the music. He goes, oh, okay, never mind." So every year from 2008 until 2019, at least once, sometimes two or three times per year, I'd get a call from Eric going, so um, any chance we could uh, pick up this movie and uh, distribute it for you? And I'm like, 
you got the money for the music? No, no, no. Every year, right? For all of that time, right? 11 years. Finally, he calls up one day in 2019. He says, um, so I was wondering how, you know, maybe if we could, you know, distribute your movie. And I went, Eric, do you have the money for the music? And he went, yeah, I do. <laughs> he had talked his boss, Ed Seaman, who is the head of the company, you know, in, in, into financing the rest of finishing this film. With Ed having not seen the film yet, this is how good Eric was at convincing people of something he believed in. And so they, we negotiated, put up, he, they put up the money, they paid like that, they got it, we got it all done, we paid for the music, and now here we are. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so the name of our podcast is called I'm So Obsessed. Patrick Reed Johnson, what are you currently obsessed with? Oh, my goodness. Um, my granddaughter, <laughs> who my, my, my four-month-old granddaughter, who's the cutest thing in the universe. If you go on my Twitter, you'll see a, a, photo, a, a photo of her attached to a, uh, her, she has hair like Rod Stewart, and it's like a cowlick <laughs> from outer space. And it is, it, it's going to become, I think, an internet phenomenon because she's, you can't, and there's nothing you can do. She wakes up like that and I, there's no amount of hair gel or water or, not, not that we want to change it, but that's it. And well, I, I say, if you still have the wig from 525.77, you got to put I'm it not sure that it wouldn't just sit on her head like a, like a marching band helmet, you know, but anyway. <laughs> I got to ask you, uh, you've worked with all these amazing people and artists. Is there a piece of advice you were given that's still valuable to you today? Never use your own money. <laughs> that's from the producers. <laughs> no, which, which I have never listened to and have bankrupted myself numerous times. And, 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 and oh you're, God. you're your own Bialystok. I'm my own Bialystok, right. <laughs> but the ultimate piece of advice, and I used to, because I taught at University of North Carolina School of the Arts School of Filmmaking for nine years. And the, the one thing I kept telling students, because most of them were like, yeah, when I'm done, I'm going to go out for like six months to LA and see if it all works out. And if I get to direct a movie and I'm like, what are you talking about? Can you see if it works out in six months and you get to direct? What? What? I said, I said, the, let me put it this way. You have to be willing to wait five years, 10 years, 15, 20 or 30 the only people I know who haven't made it in the film industry are the people who gave up. I mean, it's, it, it seems silly and trite, but it's true. Well, what's amazing is uh, as people are listening to this and hearing you talk about your journey, not only living the events, but trying to make the film, all these deals, the possibilities, all that goodwill, it does translate on screen, which even without it, it would still, I think, be a good movie. But it definitely makes it feel like something special and it makes you feel like you 
are a fan because we are all there's a lot of clearly there's lots of star wars fans i'm wondering too so now we're our, we are in 2022 right and now you're getting to release it so you but you've done some more work since that 2017 2018 time right can you kind of explain what you did it mostly was you know the stuff that that in the race to get other things done got left on the sidelines just cleaning up bits and pieces you know effects that needed to be look there are three levels of effects in this movie there are the invisible effects that are about oh that that car that went through the background is the wrong year it doesn't fit you know let's just get rid of it and, and or you got to change that street sign because they didn't have ones like or what you know there's lots of invisible effects that you're not meant to ever see there's hundreds and hundreds of them in the movie just corrective things or just adding a little bit of cloud to a kind of gray blue sky that was just bland right and you'll never know which ones were added to or which weren't right then there are what we call the 1977 effects which are meant to be what's the best that you know lucasfilm or or the people or doug trumbull or what, what could they have done in 1977 that fits our movie so that means we don't use 3d animation we don't do big swooping you know motion control shots through through our landscapes or anything it's all very 2d and very much about matte paintings i mean actually rocco joffrey uh, one of the matte painters on close encounters who i met during close encounters it was only 18 at the time and i was 15 uh he did oh i think about 12 matte paintings for us and they're beautiful but but anybody really looking is going to know their matte paintings but they're going to be like the kind of matte paintings you saw in close encounters or star wars or empire strikes back you know they're they're beautiful and you may you might know their matte paintings but you don't care because they're beautiful and they work and and then we get into what we call the willfully cheesy effects. And those are the effects that are meant to look like what Patrick Reed Johnson could do in his garage in 1977 with strings and, you know, tin cans and bubble gum and, you know, and the shitty lights he had and model kits smashed together. And, and they're meant to call attention to themselves. They're, they're meant for you to go, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> but like in the trailer, we see uh, uh, one of Pat's friends in Jaws 2 at Patrick's swimming pool with a pack of rich red dye and it's just going everywhere. Right. It's just insane. It's like uh Quentin really happened. You know, on a light day. Yeah. <laughs> um, so all that's going on. And then um I guess now what's also interesting is your film has kind of gone through different phases, but also so has society. So what do you think the appeal is for someone to see 52577 aside from the Star Wars angle, aside from the beautiful like indie film and this this amazing creature that's taken so long, but also just with some of the things going on in our world now? Well, the, the funny thing about it is that is that and, and a bunch of people have commented on this, you know, if we cut out all the Star Wars stuff in this movie, it's still the same movie. And it it's just as moving because it's not about Star Wars. It's about leaving home. It's about believing that you can do something when everyone tells you you can't. It's about. It's much more about the American graffiti vibe than it is about being a fan of Star Wars. In fact, um, we did a cut where we took all the Star Wars out of it just just to see what would happen. And and one of the things we found out in the 2017 release was we had at the time a poster and a trailer that just slammed into the whole Star Wars. It was all about Star Wars. It was all about geek 
cred and right and and what what we found out at all these screenings was there were there were all these super uber star wars fans and geeks who showed up and they dragged with them their spouses or their 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 significant others or their kids or their parents who couldn't stand star wars or didn't care less about it who saw our trailer and said no 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 i'm not going i'm not going like the kid in apocalypse now and i won't get off the helicopter right and they were the ones who loved the movie more than the geeks because it's about something much deeper and it's a, it's a it's an emotional ride which is why the new trailer that's out right now is not about star wars at all and in fact the new trailer doesn't have more than i think one line of dialogue and a little bit of narration by herb lightman and it's all meant to make you go i don't know what this is but i want to it has <laughs> and, it, and, and it and you don't if you care about star wars you won't see much in there that you'll like there's because uh, there's nothing really about star wars in it um i'm not even sure it ever mentions star wars it kind of hints at it right but it's really about that feeling that that burgeoning terror meets wonderment of what's over the horizon the undiscovered country beyond your your little world that you come from and will you or won't you and what are you willing to sacrifice to do it and and that's what i'm hoping will will attract people to seeing it is that is that it is not a star wars movie at all um it it certainly pays homage to star wars and close encounters in 2001 but those are MacGuffin. i mean they're they're grails they're they're touchstones but everybody's got something they're reaching for right this is just the things he's reaching for it's about the reaching and it's about the people around him who know better than he does that he should continue reaching Okay, so something we do with all our guests is we play pick one. I give you a couple of choices. You select one. It doesn't mean the thing you select is necessarily better than the others, but okay. Patrick, can we play pick one? Yeah. All right. So pick one, Chicago, LA, or North Carolina. Wow. I, I would take Chicago. Okay. And then pick one, writing, directing, or model making. Give, give me a second to mull this and hopefully entertain you in the process. Um, writing is something that I don't enjoy doing but I get really pretty good results. Directing is something I don't enjoy doing at all. And I kind of get okay results. Some people really like them. Some people, you know, some people don't. Um, <laughs> um, but model making, which I got a chance to do, especially over the last two years, we did so many miniatures over the last two years that are so cool and so both of the time, but informed by the knowledge of many years of filmmaking that we've, there, I mean, I got to crash the discovery from 2001 in a junkyard, you know, I mean, it's, I, I love model making. And if I could, if I could just go back to getting paid, by the way, in the, at the height of my model making career in the eighties, I was making more per week average than my dad, the anesthesiologist, because model makers were in such demand back then. You know, um, and they're coming back. I mean, because people are doing miniatures a lot more than they used to. And I, I love model making. It's it's just fun. The people are fun. The results are immediate. Uh, there's very little that can be done to screw them up unless you've got a terrible filmmaker using them. But um, I, I I would say model making. Okay, so I got two more for you. The first one, I think I know what the answer is going to be. But pick one. May the fourth. <laughs> 
or five twenty-five seventy-seven. There's no, I, I, and I, I love all of you out there, and I get it. It's fun. I May the Fourth means nothing to me. <laughs> and for anyone listening, just whatever Patrick said, that's exactly how I feel too. All right, and my last one for you is. Uh, you directed the film Baby's Day Out that was written by John Hughes yep. and it starred Joe Montana. Yep. Pick one. Joe Montana in Criminal Minds, Joe Montana in Godfather 3, or Joe Montana as Fat Tony on The Simpsons. Um, I'm going to take Fat Tony because, I mean, he's great in everything he does. And in fact, there's a project he doesn't even know I'm coming at him with about Chicago television at WGN in the 1960s. <laughs> which he was an intimate part of. And he's got two or three of the best stories I've ever heard about working in television, about working on like, you know, Garfield Goose and, you know, and all this guys. I'm telling um, I will, I'll take the Simpsons because not most people have no idea how funny Joe, Joe is. They mostly think of him as a pretty serious dude. And obviously he is and can be. Um, I know I would I would take Fat Tony just because I know how funny Joe can be and how much fun it is to work with him when he's being funny. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, he was just on uh, the third season of Barry. It was a nice. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> um, so before I wrap up, Patrick, is there anything else you want to mention? You want to bring up that we didn't get to talk about five twenty five seventy seven or or anything else? I would just you know like to encourage people to you know check it out, look at the trailer, see if it. It, if it opens up, you know, uh, I mean, because you may have heard about it. You may have heard, oh, it's a movie that never got released. It's probably not very good. That's not why it didn't get released. It wasn't because it wasn't good. It's because we couldn't release it without paying the artists whose music we were using. And we were not going to cut that music out of the movie. And you'll know why when you see it. I want to thank Patrick for chatting with me. And I want to thank you for listening. You can watch 52577 in limited release in theaters starting September 8th, with its release expanding to more theaters over the coming weeks. I'm So Obsessed was created by our executive producer, Danielle Ramirez. Our editor and lead producer is Sophia Foxowell, and this episode was produced by Rebecca Fleener. Please take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. Follow the show on Twitter at I'm So Obsessed Pod. And until next time, Take care.